been a couple of weeks and probably going to leave out a lot of what I had intended to say last week, the week before. Just never really got around to doing the podcast when I was in Colorado. I think I was in LA during the last one. So got back here, was jet lagged. Then I got sick for a couple of days, nothing serious, just a cold. And then uh, jet lagged, sick. And now I'm in day three of my four day fast. So uh, I'm not sick anymore. I feel pretty good. I'm a little bit hungry, but it's not a big deal. And I'm up to it now. I'm finally up to doing this podcast. So a lot of stuff. I, I had notes before. I don't know. They're on my other laptop. Not really sure. I'm sure when I'm done with this, I'm going to be like, oh shit, there's so much stuff I wanted to talk about. But I, I guess I'll just start with like the thing that was on my mind today. I wrote a piece called Apostate. And uh, of course I am one. And apostate is someone who no longer believes in the, the tribal edicts, the religion anymore. Somebody who is kind of out of step with the fundamental axioms of the tribe. And I wrote it and, you know, I was talking about how Heather had run into some family friends, this couple, this old Jewish couple, and they had stumbled upon my work on, I guess, my Substack. I don't know if they had listened to the podcast and they were kind of aghast, you know, what, what is he doing? You know, that was what they were asking her. And at first she thought like they were going to be, they were, they and everybody else who is not ready for it. If they are wondering what I'm doing and looks me up, assume the reaction would be like, what you're saying is, is wrong. It's dangerous. You're killing people. But actually that's not really what their beef was. Their, their actual beef. And these are pretty well to do people was what's he doing? Like literally, what's he doing for a job? Like how is he making a living? Like what what is he what is he doing? Like you can't just write about this stuff that makes people mad and you're not going to get paid for. And it was a serious question. They weren't in in a way it was sort of like it was their main genuine concern for me, like not like out of love necessarily, but just out of like what the fuck is wrong with him? And Heather tried to explain to them. He's like, well, he believes all this stuff. He believes in an earnest. And even I agree with some of it. Of course, she figured out that they were really more about like, what's he doing for a living when they didn't really care whether it was an earnest. It's like, what's the point of it? Why would you do something like that? And you start to realize that for a lot of people, I mean, there's those people whose brains are totally broken, like those COVID freaks that really think that if you're not outdoor masking, you're killing people. Or if you're not if you're not thinking that masks save lives, then you're doing something horrible. But I think that's really the minority. I think those are the real, just absolutely psyop, broken brains, zombies that you know may may or may not recover from it. Uh, but I think most of sort of the people in our neoliberal circles, and those are my circles, right? I'm New York City, born and bred Jew. I grew up private school, college, law school. I, my associates. Sasha goes to a private school in Lisbon, like it or not, or the neoliberal laptop class. That's who we know. I mean, I know some based people and I focus on them and spend my time with them to the greatest extent possible. But family and old friends, like a lot of them are just in that sort of neoliberal camp. And, and the truth is, it's just a small minority that are actually scared of COVID anymore or wear a mask. And they may not admit it, right? Like if you press them on it, we're like, come on, man, you know, that mask shit was bullshit. You know, the vaccine is killing people and it definitely didn't stop the spread. They might say, well, no, no, no. I think it helped with the spread. And I don't know, you know, they, they might 
deny it. They may not admit it to themselves, but you can see from their behavior, they're no longer scared of COVID. They're go to crowded restaurants. They travel. They, they're not worried about whether you have COVID or you're vaccinated anymore. They don't really care. So that's not really the, for most of them, that's not the main issue. The main issue is sort of like, why are you doing this? Or at least for this couple and for, for many people, why are you doing this? Like what, what kind of, what kind of job is this? And I remember when I was uh, in like 1998, I was playing uh, 1999 playing pickup hoops, my uh, Hollywood high hoops game in LA. And one of the guys there, a friend of mine, nice guy was like, so you're doing what? And I said, yeah, I'm working for this uh, fantasy football company, Roto News. And he kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, but I mean, what are you doing for a career? And he wasn't trying to be a dick. He was just sort of like fantasy sports. That's not a career. And of course it was, you know, but he wasn't, it wasn't personal. He was just saying what he had been instructed to believe that there are certain career paths and they're, that's not one of them. And I think this is a little bit similar. So they're wondering, you know, like, what the fuck are you doing? And the truth is like, you know, as far as I can tell, I'm just, and I'll get into this. And I, I got a little bit of uh, deeper into this, but I'll get into it once I get through the article. As far as I can tell, I'm just saying what's on my mind. I'm telling my view, my observations of things as best I can. And because I'm the type of person I am, that's something that's compelling to me to get it out there and articulate my views. And I have a lot to say. It's just who I am. Some people would really not uh, want to do a solo podcast or write all these different articles about different topics, edit them. That wouldn't be interesting to a lot of people. But for me, it's just natural to me. I want to do it. I want to say this stuff. And so I'm saying it. And what you realize is they don't get that. They, you know, I, I could say to them, well, well, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to look, I'm from the same circles they are. So in a way it's kind of like, well, yeah, I'm hoping that this, somebody sees this, they see, wow, this is really insightful. This is really deep. Like I, I want to hire you. I want to publish your work or, or something, you know, throw a bunch of money at me. And then I could say, look, I'm a famous philosopher. I'm a published author. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an important person in some way in the tribe. They would say, you know, if I said that to them, that's what I'm doing. They'd say, okay, great. Well, who's your publisher and how are you getting your work out? Like, what's your strategy? You know, I, I could, you could say something like that to them and they would understand that even though it might not be the things that they believe. They, I think they would understand that. But then I would be like justifying myself. I'd be saying, you know, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm still trying to go down this path. But you see, the problem with that is that I worked for a long time at Rotowire and it was enjoyable work. It was hard. There was times where we didn't get paid much and I was really doing like a lot of work. And, you know, 15 years ago, I was doing a lot of work, a lot more than I was doing five years ago, for sure. I mean, it was pretty crazy before we finally like got big enough to hire people and take some work off everybody's plate. And, you know, what's the point of that if... If you can't be free, if you're doing all that work, I mean, it was enjoyable to an extent, but I mean, it was really pushing it. I mean, some of it, you know, it was enjoyable and then it was, it was work. What's the point of selling your share in the company if you can't be free, if you sold it and then you're still beholden, you're still like, what are you doing? What are you doing to, it's a, a story I can tell 
to these well-to-do old Jewish couple that is looking it through the lens of like, what's he doing? If I still have to sell them a story, if I still, you know, have to show them a, a pay stub, not, you know, it doesn't even matter about the money, but the fact that I would be making money getting paid shows that I'm succeeding in some way. If I still have to prove that, then what's the point? It means I'm not free. It means I did all of this and felt like, okay, that was enough of that particular endeavor. What's the point if I'm not free? And what you start to realize is if you want to be free, you're going to generate some resentment from the unfree, from the slaves. And these are rich slaves. I mean, they can do whatever they want. They can retire any second. They're, they're old. They, should, they probably should retire, but maybe they like what they're doing. That's fine too. But whether or not they like their work, and they're, they're obviously doing that voluntarily at this point because they're old enough to justify they don't, You don't have to justify yourself in your 70s. Um, you, you don't need to. You Just having some money in your 70s and having had something will satisfy the tribe. But the fact that they still feel I need to, the fact that they feel one needs to, what are you doing to do something that justifies yourself to others uh, is a form of slavery, right? You're still beholden to explaining yourself, to explaining your worth. Now, I actually feel that. I mean, I'm from the same tribe. I'm from the same circles. Like, I get it. I get the pressure to say you're doing something. And, you know, I, I'm not saying it doesn't occasionally weigh on me, but to the extent I can, I want to be free. I want to be able to do things that I want to do, not because I'm, you know, somehow satisfying the expectations of somebody else. And that's always a struggle. You know, I want a podcast because I want a podcast or write because I want to write, not because, you know, I need to account for myself, account for my time. And that's a fine line to walk because, I do think it's important to, to contribute, right? But not because there's an expectation from other people, but because contributing is something, I think it's just like a human need. It's, it's something within you, not because you're explaining how you're contributing to somebody who doesn't get it. They don't get it. They don't see how doing what I'm doing is a contribution. And that's fine. It doesn't satisfy the criteria for them of being legitimate, namely making a bunch of money, namely something that they can understand as valuable. And so that's what that piece was about. You know, the, the people who are still slaves to that sort of belonging, and we all are to some extent, and we are all pulled by it a little bit. And I'll get deeper into that. Again, I was having sort of a deep thoughts about this as I was thinking about, as I was taking notes for this podcast. But I kind of think that's the enemy, like the idea that instead of contributing because it's something you find valuable, something that you would like to listen to or read yourself, you're doing it by someone else's standards. So I started, but I started thinking about it and I, I you know, I want to be really uh, self-aware and really sort of eyes open about the whole thing. And there's kind of like two competing stories that in my mind that come out of that, right? Like one of them, is kind of one narrative that is kind of daunting to me, but I, I think about it is, you know, maybe I'm just scared, anxious. I squandered my talents. I became a crank. I became this person, but I did that. Um, you know, I, I, the story I tell is I'm fearless. I'll say the truth if I think it, even if nobody likes it. But the sort of negative story is I did that to avoid 
competing in the conventional space that I should have, you know, gone for the ESPN job and try to get on TV more and, and be, you know, a bigger uh, fantasy sports personality. But I just didn't have the, the courage, the guts to say, Hey, I'm the best here. Put me on TV. I can do this. And because of that anxiety and that unwillingness to uh, back myself and the lack of confidence, I sort of created an alternative persona as like a crank who, you know, I don't care about this bullshit and a naysayer of all of the uh, societal things. I don't care about awards. I don't care about accolades. I don't care about praise to avoid dealing, you know, and that sort of, you know, that, that comes up sometimes for me. I think, you know, well, what if that's the case? What if I'm just, this is just a, a virtue signaling persona of, you know, of that's just justifying myself in a different way, right? I'm not justifying myself directly to that old couple. I'm justifying myself as screw them and virtue signaling to people who are also have that uncomfortable relationship with society's expectations. But the other story is I actually just consciously rejected the path of social conformity because whether or not I have anxieties around it or fears or character flaws, I just found it to be false. And if I were forcing myself to walk that path and prove myself in the conventional way to a greater extent than I, than I had, which I certainly could have, it's not like, you know, I didn't really, I was never the guy who was like, I'm the guy put me on TV. I mean, I was willing to do radio shows and stuff, but I was never like, I need to be the man. I need to be, you know, the, the face of everything. And I, I want this. And, you know, I was a bit like, yeah, I'll do my best. I'll give it a shot. I'll do it my way. I hope it works. You know, so I wasn't, I, I wasn't that confident about the whole thing, to be honest. But either way, you know, if I wasn't interested in it that much of being that guy, being that corporate face or whatever, forcing myself to prove it, you know, just so that, oh yeah, I see it wasn't fear. I could have done it. Uh, maybe that's just something you need to let go. And the story of, you know, oh, you're just too scared and anxious. So you're hiding behind this persona of being a crank. Maybe that's just um, another way of sort of society's expectations worming their way into undermining my freedom and not letting me enjoy it. Uh, but I can see both stories, right? I mean, I can see one that, you know, you failed and now you're hiding or no, you've seen the light and just keep walking toward it and don't listen to that bullshit. It can't both be true, right? Either you're really walking towards something true or you're just hiding. And this is just a virtue signaling persona of its own kind, even if, you know, the majority isn't seeing as virtuous, you still have your niche of people who, who do. But, I, but I, I was thinking about it. I was talking to Heather about it. I was like, I just, you know, I just want to run this by you because it's, you know, I, I want, again, I want to be like, honest with myself. I don't want to be living a, a lie. And I really do. I really did as I was explaining it to her and she totally gets it because she has similar things going on with her. I really felt a little bit of clarity around the idea that, you know, if you reject the bad advice of society and it's sort of pressure to conform and it's expectations, and you thwart it, it. It's, it's pernicious. It's devious. It's like this other voice creeps in saying, you're only doing this because you're scared and you didn't have the confidence in yourself to, to, to really succeed and, you know, and, and, you know, you need to pass that test first before you're allowed to leave. You can't leave. 
like the CIA or something. Like you're like, okay, I did my job. I want to leave. And they're like, oh, you can't get out of the CIA. You know too many secrets or getting out of the mafia. They don't let you leave. And I think it's kind of similar. Like, no, 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 you can't leave. You know, you, you have to prove yourself more. You know, you sh you're just escaping. It's just funny. Like the, that voice is still there sometimes. But I, I, I think I feel a little bit clearer after like looking over it, which is like, no, I just think like, I did leave and you know, the voices, the forces within you that really were trying to push you to conform and succeed in the way that you, that the expectations were laid out for you, they're devious and they don't like it. And they, they want you to prove something you can't prove, which is that if I could go back and you know, could I have been a bigger conventional success in some way where I'm more confident, less fearful about putting myself out there to the full extent. And I'll never know. I'll, I'll never know. And so um, it's kind of this devious way of trying to get you to sort of undermine your own freedom. And so I'm just noting it, you know, that it's there, that I still have that, that I'm not completely um, apart from that old Jewish couple that's voicing their views. I still, that's in me, right? It's still in me. So I just, going over that but you know I, I think in the end in the end it doesn't really matter right in the end you you may have some anxiety some fear some incomplete confidence confidence but you know you didn't really the, not the confidence to be the man necessarily you know i was very i was very confident i actually grew more a lot more confident at rotowire as time went on that doing radio or video or whatever, but being completely myself, like being kind of irreverent and informal was the best way. I started having more and more confidence that just telling it the way I saw it and not really giving a shit about the way you're supposed to do it was the right way. And I remember we really confounded uh, some of the people like Matt Deutsch was always like, I don't know how you guys do it. You do everything wrong, but somehow it works. It was like, yeah, we did everything wrong because it was like, it wasn't us to do it the other way. But again, there's still like that voice there every now and then. I don't want this to be too, I mean, it's obviously already gotten there, but I want this to be too like, you know, just sort of my personal whatever. But I just want to, I always want to examine that harshly. Like, you know, am I, do I, am I just virtue signaling another way? Am I just creating a persona that that's sort of a defense against any of this stuff? And, and I, you know, even though I, I feel like the answer is no, for the most part, I just want, I just felt like I should question it. But when I brought that sort of nebulous, anxious feeling uh, into the light, I, I feel like I got some clarity on it, I guess. But anyway, so yeah, that's just, that's what it is. One, one barometer I use for success personally is just the output of work. Like I have so many posts on both my sub stacks and so many podcasts over the last year and a half since I went on my own. And I, and I feel like that to me is like the real barometer because if you were faking it, you just couldn't sustain the pace. You know, you just couldn't sustain that much work. And I, I sometimes read the ones I did from last year and I actually posted um, sort of my Black Mirror series. Check it out. I posted it on Twitter. It's sort of my Black Mirror type fiction ones. And I read those and I was like, these, I still stand by them. I feel good about them. And it's just like the the creative output is what kind of gives me the most 
that's my barometer because it's like, okay, if, if I'm still doing it, then I'm still doing it, then I'm doing it for real. Then it's not fake. If you, you know, purport to be free. And then when you sit down to say what it is you feel or think, and you just don't have anything, you know, then I, I, I would think like, uh Oh, maybe this was a mistake. Maybe I was, maybe this wasn't me, you know, maybe, maybe it is just escape. Anyway, those are just my thoughts on that. But I felt like just, I, I want to air that I know maybe it's kind of too much how the sausage is made, but too much self-reflection. Uh, and maybe sometimes, you know, that shouldn't go to the podcast. It should just be the persona, the views, the the truth as I see it, the the sort of uh, the finished product. But I feel like I, I don't want to create a fake persona. Like I'm, you know, I wrote, I write in this piece, apostate, you know, like slaves are always going to resent the free and there's nothing I can do about that. And it paints me as free and everybody else as slaves who's still attached to that. But I felt like even though there's truth in that, let's not exaggerate the extent to which I'm free. You know, I'm still beholden somewhat. I'm still affected. I still care what people think. Even though I post things that I know are going to piss people off, make them angry with me, make them think I'm a crank or a conspiracy theorist. Even though I absorb that, you know, negativity and it makes me, anxious or hurts my feelings if somebody says it or whatever it is that, you know, I, I'm not immune to it. It's just that I've just learned to tolerate it. Like I'm fasting day three and I'm hungry, but I, I'm fine because I can tolerate hunger because I've done it because I practiced it because it's just hunger. It's not a big deal. It's just people being angry with me. There's a book I read a while back and I talked about it. It's a great book. It's called The Courage to Be Disliked. And I do feel it's important to have that but I don't think it's, it consists in um, just not caring if people dislike you. I think it's very hard. Maybe one day I'll be there completely. But I think you still care that people dislike you. It still upsets you, hurts your feelings. But you're just willing to bear it. You're, still, you're willing to bear that discomfort of being disliked because it's more important to say what you think is true. And you know, you almost kind of like that feeling. You start to enjoy a little bit that like unpleasant anxiety, that sort of uh, adrenaline, that sort of feeling of like, oh, this guy is saying shit about me. And I used to just because I like to fight, you know, I used to like the challenge and to fight somebody. But forget about even the, the you know, the satisfaction of you know vindicating yourself or standing up for yourself. Just Just the feeling of like, okay, like this is like somebody's persecuting me for my views and I can feel it because I can take it. I can take it. No problem. I'm not scared or I am scared, not really scared anymore, but I am anxious about it. It does cause me some anxiety, but I can bear it and I'm not going to stop talking. You're not going to shut me up because even though it creates, you know, a feeling in me, that feeling is good. That feeling is me being alive and being like, yeah, I can feel that. I can feel the attack but I can still say whatever the fuck I want to say. That's satisfying to me. So I think it's more like that. I don't think it's like you literally, maybe at some point you literally just don't care. It doesn't affect you at all. Maybe there's a, a point where that happens, but I'm certainly not there yet. It kind of brings me to the next uh, point, next topic. I feel like, and I've, I've mentioned this in different ways before, but it's really just hitting home after I was in LA for the summer and, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, these sort of neoliberal enclaves. And when I say liberal, 
I don't like to use liberal or left or neoliberal as a blanket thing because there's a lot of people who I think would still consider themselves left or liberal who never treated me disrespectfully despite my uh, dissenting views, who never came after me. And so I don't want to say like they're all the same. When I say it, it's a subset of the neoliberals. They're really intolerant ones. And there's just so many people, and I've encountered some of them this summer, where literally a dissenting view upsets them so much, they start libeling you. They start slandering you like reflexively. Anti-vaxxer, or they're like Trumper, or right-winger, or conspiracy theorists. I mean, these are all insults. And what, what are those insults about? They're, they're about undermining your credibility as a person. I mean, that's a deep insult, right? You're standing with other people, and they call you one of those things. And they're, what they're saying to everybody around you is this fucking idiot does not deserve to be taken seriously. I mean, that is a fucking huge insult. I mean, that's a really aggressive, right? If you're just like, look, I, I think January 6th is a joke. And I think it's a total joke. I think it's a, the biggest farce among all the farces. I mean, there was like literally nothing happened. And it was made to be this insurrection. The I mean, I've gone over this before, but it was just the most Orwellian thing ever. It was just completely fake. Nothing, literally nothing. There was nothing to it except the protester being murdered by the guard, which is not on the protesters. And if you, if you say that, you know, people will, you know, it's not personal to them. You're just talking about a political event. It's a current event. You're not saying that they're idiots or whatever. You're just saying that's just nothing. And they will go after you to try to discredit everything about you and get the people around you to think you're a joke uh, because you have that view. And that is just so intolerant. I mean, okay, so you think it's a big deal. I just don't think the evidence is there and I'm happy to have that discussion. If you go there, I'm not just spewing it as people um, usually bring it up with me. I'm not eager to get into the discussion, not because I'm remotely worried about it. If, if you want to go there, I'm happy to go there. I'm happy to have it out. It's just that I don't hope to persuade you. I don't think you're persuadable if you're that type of person. And so it's not worth my time. But if you bring it up to me, I'm not going to, you know, back down or shrink from expressing my views. And so um, these people, their move is to discredit me because they're just so fucking intolerant. And I have never in my life been around people this intolerant. I remember growing up, like, you know, I heard about the Christian right evangelicals in the 80s. And, you know, they were just very repressive and caring about all these you know, bad words and what you could see and what you could say and what music you could listen to. And, and I never really met those people because I was in New York City. And, um, you know, those were just people that I'd read about, but I didn't really encounter very many of them, if any. So it was just sort of, you know, secondhand that I'd heard about them. But the, in terms of people I encounter, people in my circles, the neoliberal Karens are the most intolerant people I have ever been around. They cannot brook the slightest bit of dissent without insulting you and libeling you. They will insult you and call you a Trumper and call you a right winger and call you a fascist or a Nazi at the drop of a hat. It doesn't take much. And this is just, it's just not fucking permissible. So, you know, I used to be like in the height of the mania where, you know, I felt a little bit more isolated in my views. I'd say things like, look, we agree to disagree. I don't believe in, forcing medicine on people. I believe in rights. I believe in civil liberties. I'd be very on the defense, like, you know, saying, Hey, uh, I get it, but I don't agree with you. But I, I, I really feel like right now, uh, my response is much more likely to be along the lines of fuck you. 
you you are intolerant. You're insulting me. We have a disagreement about a set of facts, a political disagreement, which is fine. You know, it's a free country. We we can disagree about what happened or what it means. You don't. If you're insulting me, you're fucking aggressing against me. You're attacking me, and you're an intolerant fucking asshole. And I'm. I feel like that's legitimate because the one thing you can't tolerate it's uh popper carl popper's paradox of tolerance is is intolerance because if you tolerate people who are intolerant all of the civil liberties all of the free speech all of your rights are gone because intolerance obviously will end any sort of tolerance so if somebody has a different view or believes in something you think is ridiculous tolerate that 100% don't insult them you can engage with them or not it's up to you maybe worth it maybe not but if you if you hear somebody who is, no, you need to be cut off from the discussion, disgraced and dismissed as a person for having a particular view, that's just pure intolerance. And if you think about it, you know, we've never been more tolerant as a society of black people, gay people, Muslims, Jewish people. Yes, there's racism, anti-Semitism, et cetera. But there used to be laws. There used to be legal discrimination gay people were not safe to come out. I mean, there was a point at which it was really dangerous and best case, you would be totally shunned and ostracized. Worst case, you know, you might be attacked. And these days, I mean, if I were gay, I would way rather live in 2023 than I would in 1980 and way rather live in 1980 than 1920. It's gotten better. Nothing's perfect. But there are people, there's still racism, there's still homophobia, obviously. But the idea that you know, the intolerance is on that front, that that's what we have to fight the most. When right in front of your face, there's people who can't even tolerate a dissent, a dissenting view about current event, about what it means. To me, that's where the intolerance is. People who want to censor, people who want to shut down rights. This is where the intolerance really is. And, and my response to that is not going to be defensive anymore. It's going to be offensive. It's going to be, fuck you. You know, you do not insult me. You know, you do not know more than me. You are not in a position to say that I need to, you know, that, that I'm a crank or to be dismissed. You are lucky that after all the shit you pulled, advocating for violating people's rights, advocating for mandating medicine, advocating for censorship, that I'm even fucking talking to you. You're the person who's intolerant. I'm a tolerant person. And I'm fine to engage with you on disagreements about any of this stuff. But if you want to censor me or shut me up or, or tell everybody else that I'm some sort of person to be dismissed, then fuck you. I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm not going to tolerate you because you are intolerant. And again, the one thing we should be tolerant of different views, different perspectives, goes without saying different races, ethnicities, religions, you know, any of that stuff, obviously. But we should be tolerant, but I will not tolerate intolerant people. And so if you come at me with that shit, it's not going to go well for you. And I'm not going to be, you know, civil about it like I was. And I'm, in fact, even the summer, I was probably too civil. But actually, the people who I was talking to were a little bit scared of me. And they didn't say that shit to my face. They ended up saying it behind my back, um, but they didn't say it to my face. Had they said it to my face, they've got a fucking earful. But they were too scared because they knew if they got, if they said it to me to my face, it would not have gone well. It was more when they talked to me, more of a, a disagreement a debate, which is fine. But if they had said that fucking shit to my face, it would not have gone well for them because I would have just fucking called it for what it was. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm not going to be nice to people who are intolerant 
That's it. If you're intolerant to me, if somebody were intolerant of black people or gays or Jews, I would tell them that's fucked up. That's intolerance. You don't have to associate with any person you don't want to associate with. But if you started to, you know, denigrate those people in my presence, I would be, and I don't mean make a joke. I mean, like seriously denigrate those people where you showed you were not tolerant of their existence. You know, I would reject that too. I would reject you um, because I feel like that's intolerant and I wouldn't tolerate that. I would say that's, that's fucked. But I feel the same way about people who do not tolerate dissent in a way that's even broader because you don't tolerate anything. You, you know, this is like some 20th century shit. And so I think we need to be, you know, at least I, there's no, we need to be, I think I right now am on the offense. You say that shit to my face, you're going to fucking get an earful and I don't give a shit anymore. I don't care. You know, you can call, I am an apostate. You can wonder why I'm doing it, what I'm doing. It's because I feel it strongly because I believe in it. So, so that's where I'm at with that. I just, I just feel the intolerance is of a level that I have never seen in my life. I've never been around people that if you say, yeah, I don't agree about, you know, what happened on January 6th, or, you know, I think a lot of the global warming stuff is at a minimum exaggerated. It might be made up for, you know, for political purposes, for control. If, if I say something like that, which is a disagreement on, on issues, which is normal, that's, that's what we should be debating issues. You can go and give me your counter argument to either of those things. I'm fine with that. Who cares? That's, that's what we talk about. But for people who, you know, just can't, I've never seen people who can't tolerate dissent or disagreement without outright slandering you. And I've never seen it this bad. Um, I've never been around people this nasty. And, and it's funny because I think the people know, like, and, and ask yourself this, because some people may listen to this who are totally on board with me. And some people may listen to this that are only halfway on board with me. And I'm going to ask the halfway people this question. Imagine that you had some misgivings about an issue. Maybe you don't think, um, transitioning to a different gender is a really good idea that in general, um, it should not be encouraged. That would be a controversial viewpoint, right? Let's say you have that belief. Who would you be more likely to say that to? Someone who, and, and you're a liberal, you, you, you voted for Biden, you would vote for him again. Who would you be more likely to voice that misgiving about that issue to? One of the neoliberals who's squelching discussion and everything, who wants to censor people, or someone like me who you don't even agree with on a lot of stuff, but you know, we can just have a conversation. Who are you more comfortable voicing? And the, the transition might be a little bit too, too obvious because it's such a, you know, a hot button issue. I'm going to make a joke about it later. And uh, <laughs> I just thought of something funny about it, but I'll, I'll say it afterward. But that's such a hot button issue. But even just something like, yeah, I don't know how much of climate change is, how much of it is man-made and how much of it is, you know, just the earth warming or it's not even true or it's just selectively reported. And, you know, who would you be more comfortable voicing your misgivings to somebody who doesn't agree with you or you don't agree with them on a lot of things, but they're tolerant. They don't care. I mean, disagreeing with them is not a problem for them or somebody who is basically a religious fanatic who agrees with you on a lot of things, votes for the same guy you vote for, but would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you a right winger? What's happened to you? Have you been propagandized? I mean, you know it. And the reason you're silent and the reason so many people who know better about so much of the shit were silent is exactly because it's so intolerant. The environment is so intolerant. They don't want to back you up. They don't want to back up somebody 
who's being attacked by the mob because they know they'll be attacked just for defending him. So, you know, this is the environment we're in. And just see it for what it is. This is the most intolerant group of people I have ever been around in my lifetime. And fuck them, okay? Fuck them. I'm not tolerating them. And if they come at me to my face, fucking weasels sometimes do it behind your back. But if they come at me to my face, they're going to get the earful. And I'm going to not spare them at all. And I don't give a shit. Doesn't matter to me anymore. All right. That was that. What else? Oh, so this is my joke. So, you know, I was saying how people are transitioning now from one gender to the other. You see a lot of men uh, taking female hormones and becoming women and a lot of women taking male hormones and becoming men. But you never hear of anybody going the other way, right? Let's say like I'm a man and I feel like a little bit of, uh, what's it called? Um, gender dysphoria, but not because I feel like I'm in the wrong body and I want to be a woman, but because I, I just feel like more manly than my body is more mainly than my body. So like I, I'm going to start taking testosterone now and get like a second penis put in, you know? So then I'm like a double man because I, I identify as kind of a double man. You know, I'm only a regular man. I feel like I need to add a second penis, some extra testosterone. And then I feel like I'll be more in line with how I perceive myself internally. Or a woman could do it too. You know, she's like, I'm more feminine than my body. I need to, you know, add a, an, an extra set of tits, you know, to my back. You know, I, I need like four, you know, I feel like more feminine than, than my body really is. It only, why is it only going the other direction? I don't see why you couldn't be a double man. You know, I'm a double man now. I got two. Yeah. You should see me in action. I've got two. You don't know, you don't know what I'm capable of and I'm jacked up on testosterone. So, you know, they won't let me compete in professional leagues. I got so much testosterone in me, you know, just like they're, they don't want those high testosterone you know, trans males competing in women's sports for obvious reasons. It's a, it's a, it's unfair. Well, they're not going to let me compete in men's sports, right? Like if you jack yourself up on testosterone, they're not even going to let you compete in men's sports. There should be a separate league for the double man, the double dicked high testosterone man. That's a higher league. The, the regular man could play in my league, but I can't play in their league because I'm a double man. So you just never see it go in that direction, but you know, maybe, you know, maybe a real man does, go in that direction transitions to a double man thinking about doing it maybe i'll have to do it all right one other thing that kind of came up and i'm going to get into some deep thoughts i got like a deep thoughts it's almost like a almost should be like a feature of this i get into some deep philosophical shit but I, a lot of people i know and have talked to especially in my circles they're doing a lot of hallucinogenic therapies you know ayahuasca shrooms mdma ketamine all that kind of shit and, you know, they're always talking about, oh, I had a breakthrough or I'm hoping to have a breakthrough or the shaman was great or whatever, all this bullshit. And the test for that, you know, in my mind is if you hear somebody doing all that shit, are you like, oh, that guy must be really enlightened. He must really have it together. He did the ayahuasca treatment. I'm sure he's, you know, much better now. I'm sure, I'm sure he's, you know, more spiritual than I am. I'm sure he's more awake than I am now. Or do you think, okay, he's just doing that. This is something he decided to do. Right? I mean, contrast it with like, if I told you like, oh, I could show you that I was like an Olympic sprinter, would you be like, I bet he's probably faster than me? Of course, because that's like, obviously, you know that if somebody were an Olympic sprinter um, and they didn't weigh 500 pounds now, they're probably faster than you are. But if somebody's like doing this therapy, you're not like, oh yeah, he's definitely got it together more than me because he's doing this therapy. You know, it, it, it's, it's not like, 
to me, that's sort of like the test. Like if there was something that works, you would kind of know it. I think, you know, you would kind of know that, oh, this works, this gets results. Just simple stuff. Like, you know, if you break your arm and you see someone in a cast, you're like, all right, if I break my arm, I'm going to put my arm in a cast. Like that works. Setting the arm, they seem to be just fine when they come out of it. You know, I, I feel like the mechanism I understand, it, it basically amplifies a lot of what you're feeling. And so you can get more in touch with it. A lot of times we've sort of repressed or suppressed a lot of deeper emotions and feelings, and we're sort of disconnected from it. And getting into, you know, amplified that can help, but it's kind of transient. And, and this one woman I know well told me that she did it and she was just tore, it was just miserable hell. Like she just felt like she was just misery going through all her stuff. And her friends were like, Oh, you got to take a higher dose. Like you weren't letting go. It was painful because you didn't, you were still holding on. And so you were resisting it. And so it was so painful. And she's like, so maybe I'll take a higher dose. And I said, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, at some point you have to let go. Like with the uh, tub of butter, when I OD'd on the weed, I was just so absolutely paranoid. I had to let go because it was, it was too hellish to, to experience, to hold on. But at the same time, like, you know, weed is a lot more, uh, it's a lot more tame than, you know, ayahuasca or something, even a high dose of weed, insane as I was at that time. I feel like if you just sort of drugged yourself into like overwhelming your system, I think that could be damaging because like all of your sort of, all of your neuroses and all of your sort of rigidity around your feelings was there for a reason, right? You, you obviously couldn't take it when you were younger. You obviously had in your formative years when you were overwhelmed by difficult emotions, you had to build a structure around it to contain it, to stay sane. And if you're just going to overwhelm that completely, you know, you might break something, you know, I, I think it could be a bit dangerous. So I'm not against it. I've taken a lot of hallucinogens myself in my day, recreationally, not therapeutically. And I've, I've definitely felt some crazy shit and I had a couple of bad trips, mostly introspective type stuff that I had okay trips, but I understand it. I get it, but I wouldn't just lightly just absolutely fucking blast myself into outer space with like a giant dose to think, okay, I'll let go. I think those structures were maybe there for a reason. I think you ideally find a way to let them go naturally. You know, fasting's good. Trying to feel what you feel, cold water, you know, meditation to the extent you're actually meditating. I mean, I'm, I'm not even, I used to do, be a bigger believer in meditation and it's fine if it works for you. I just think just if you feel anxiety or you feel something or some sort of trigger like brings on an emotional state just to get in the habit of paying really close attention to how it feels and just letting that feeling without fighting it just really radiate in your body and being like, okay, this is kind of uncomfortable. I'm going to feel this discomfort and just kind of get, get friendly with it a bit and get used to it. And I do think that um, over time, as you sort of build that muscle, you know, if you train to run a marathon, you're not going to be able to do it right away. I mean, you have to build that tolerance. And as you build that tolerance, I think you can get deeper into it. But, you know, I don't have all the answers. I, I definitely, uh, you know, would probably fucking flip out if I took too much ayahuasca too. So it's, it's not like I'm Mr. Enlightened here, but just my thoughts on that, because it's been sort of coming up. A weird coincidence I want to pass on and I'll get to the deep thoughts. I had a dream. I was in Colorado and with Heather's sister and, and her husband. And we we're 
exchanging money back and forth. You know, they'd pay for some stuff. I'd pay for other stuff. We'd all kind of split it. And I wasn't even involved in the money, but I had this dream that I owed him like, you know, some money because he had late shelled out for something. And Heather's like, just give him like 200. I'm like, okay. And then she was like, no, give him 250. So I gave him 200 and I was like looking for this 50 that I thought was in my wallet, but I couldn't find it. And I was about to give him, you know, two twenties and a 10. And then I saw I had a thousand dollar bill. And I was like, what the fuck? I didn't know I had a thousand dollar bill in my wallet. Where did I get that from? And I was just like, what the fuck? It's so weird. I have a thousand dollar bill in my wallet. And then I woke up and I forgot about the dream. And then uh, we were driving back from this like country house in Colorado, which I think I've posted pictures from there before. It's an amazing place back to Boulder. And we stopped at this like roadside gas station area that had big sign that said beef jerky, which I love beef jerky. And they had like a million different kinds. And, you know, Colorado is a kind of a funny purple state where there's all these liberals in Boulder and probably Denver, but there's definitely some like country Coloradans who are not down with that shit. And he had like bumper stickers, like not everybody in Colorado's LGBTQ and other ones like don't tailgate with like a barrel of a gun on the sticker and stuff like that in this thing. And so he bought some beef jerky and in like the case of stuff you could buy was a thousand dollar bill, uh, a fake thousand dollar bill with Trump's face on it. And I don't know what that means, you know, but I was just like, I had a dream about a thousand dollar bill. And then I saw a thousand dollar bill, a fake one literally the next day. And I was like, Holy shit. I just had a dream about a thousand dollar bill in my dream. I don't recall Trump's face being on it, but just thought, thought that was funny. Um, all right. So here's the deep thoughts. That's just some random shit, but here's some deep thoughts. Okay. So I've been reading this guy, Jack Cruz. He, he's definitely a crank. And I say that in sort of an affectionate way, but he's like so fucking aggro to people who disagree with them. And he's a little crazy and he's this brain surgeon. So he's not like, you know, he, he's legit. I mean, he, he's a real guy, but he, believes in all this. Um, and I, I, I don't want to summarize his views because I really don't totally understand them. And <clears throat> I just know some very broad outlines and even those could be somewhat mistaken, but he believes in sort of physics of health, not, you know, the biology or chemistry so much and electrons and sunlight and what that does to your skin and the whole signaling process into your mitochondria. And, and it's very complicated. And as I said, I don't entirely understand it, but it just got me thinking in terms of like this general paradigm that like the sun the light from the sun, nuclear energy radiated by the sun in the form of light and heat is the source of energy for planet Earth, right? Like all the plants grow from sunlight. It's where they get their energy through photosynthesis. And then the animals eat the plants and then we eat the plants and the animals. So we're just like eating sun. And so the sun, this like star, this nuclear explosive gravitational center is sort of the life, is life, is the life force, is the prana or the Tao in a way. It, it is the source of all of that. And we take it into ourselves. And I just kind of had this feeling that like, you know, what if like, you know, internally you have, you are the sun also radiating outward. You've absorbed enough sun and consciousness is sort of a, it's, it's sort of like the opposite of entropy, right? Like the, the idea of entropy is things decay. You know, if you have like hot water in a cup, at room temperature, you know, the water is going to cool down and the room is very, very, very slightly going to warm as they get to be the same temperature. The water will end up being room temperature also, and the air will end up being, you know, the room temperature plus some very small fraction um, of the, the heat as it dissipates into the air. And 
that is not necessarily the case that ne not ne that need not necessarily be the case because you could imagine that there's you know the room temperature is remember like absolute zero is minus 273 degrees celsius so like there's plenty of energy in the air if there were no energy in the air it would be absolute zero so the air you know 70 degrees or whatever the room temperature is has a lot of energy into it so it is conceivable that the hot water could take more and more energy from the air, cool the air and start boiling, right? I mean, there is enough energy in the air around it to heat the hot water even more. And that could theoretically happen, but it doesn't happen ever because the molecules in the water that are hotter than the air randomly interact with the air and on average, they're going to cool. They could theoretically, again, just interact so that only the hottest molecules in the air were heating up the water but just probabilistically, that would just never, ever, ever happen. It would be, you know, one in a number that you can't even fathom for that to happen. So every time you see it, you put the warm water, boiling water, whatever it is, on the, in the cup on the table, your coffee, and the coffee cools and the air imperceptibly warms from the coffee. So that's entropy, right? And then there's the whole idea of the heat death of the universe where eventually all the stars will cool from that same process, all the heat will dissipate evenly through the universe and everything will just be completely still, no movement, no heat, death. But there's something that exists kind of in contrast to entropy and that's consciousness, right? Like somehow beings get more and more advanced with consciousness. Like somehow, you know, humans are more advanced than monkeys, which are more advanced than other mammals, which are more advanced than um, reptiles, etc. And there's sort of this upward flow of energy in terms of consciousness that sort of counteracts the downward flow of energy in terms of entropy. And so I almost feel like this upward flow of consciousness has given humans great power, you know, not just great reasoning power, but like great, it's like a powerful energy, your brain and your nervous system and your heart, that there's a lot of energy in that. And it's almost like you have a little piece of the sun in your being. And you, it's sort of like how the sun sort of provides energy to everything and, and cruise is almost like you need to absorb sun through your skin and your eyes to get the proper signaling and the proper energy into your body. It's almost like the sun is a source of nutrition directly, not just indirectly through plants and animals, but directly perhaps like you have sort of a light in there also. And when you're born, you're a baby or a kid, you have this sort of radiant energy as sounding a little uh, new agey, but I'm okay with it. And that that, you know, sort of gets crushed out of you a little bit. They they give you all sorts of reasons not to let it shine forth through your pores, through your actions, through your, you know, whole being. And you end up turning it against yourself. There's autoimmune disease. You have, you know, you have enemies. You're angry with people. You're anxious about stuff. You're kind of turning it inward instead of rating it outward. And I was just thinking about this because like Heather woke me up. I was jet lagged and a little sick and exhausted. And she was like unpacking her suitcase for God knows what reason at three in the morning. And then once I woke up, cause I was jet lagged, I couldn't get to sleep and I was like pissed about it. But then I started like feeling all of this like anxiety, like I was describing with the uh, hallucinogenic trips and I started really getting deeply into it. And I was like, Oh, you know, she's done me a favor. She's let me access this because of this anxiety. And there's an opportunity. If I was just doing something, I'd probably be just obliviously going about my day. And, you know, the sort of the notion of a bodhisattva, everybody around you is 
an enlightened being trying to help you get uh, more in touch with this sort of state that your natural state. But of course, you've been trained not to, and 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 you have this ego, and you have this persona, and you don't want to. You don't want to be enlightened because, you know, it really entails letting go of all the shit and feeling everything, and and you don't want to. You've created this superstructure of self, this persona that you value and that you identify with, and uh, you don't want to let it go. It's too valuable to you, and so you don't want to be enlightened. It's too too high of a cost to be enlightened. And I was thinking about physics of that, where if you accelerate a, a particle, an electron toward the speed of light, and they do this in like these colli super colliders in CERN, they can never get the electron to the speed of light. Because if something approaches the speed of light, we talked about this before, it takes on infinite mass. And then if it has infinite mass, it would need infinite energy, which you can't have. And so it slows down. So you can never accelerate even an electron to the speed of light. So if you want to get to the speed of light, you got to travel super light, like not even an electron on you. Um, otherwise you get slowed down and kind of like enlightenment's the same way, right? If you want to be enlightened, you got to travel light. You can't even have a little bit of ego on you. You can't even have a little bit of it because you can't sort of know that you're enlightened and be enlightened at the same time. Because that's being like, oh, I'm enlightened. I'm doing pretty fucking good. That doesn't work. That's going to slow you down. So it's sort of the paradox. It's just like the physics of it. You can't get to the speed of light unless you travel light. And it's interesting that the term we use is enlightened. And it sort of made me think about, you know, there's like a little piece of the sun light in you that, that in your sort of natural state is sort of, you know, enlightenment. So anyway, take it for what it's worth. It's just some thoughts I have uh, about that. And then finally, I was thinking about tree three and don't worry, I won't go into the, all the math again. Uh, I actually was able to, uh, I feel successfully to explain tree three to some family members this summer. They seemed to get it enough and they were skeptical that they would understand it, but I think they really did understand it. But there's a really interesting thing about tree three that I haven't said, which is that huge as that number is, they don't really know how big it is. They just have a lower bound. There was no upper bound for tree three. In other words, they know it's finite, but they don't have an upper bound. It's a very strange thing, right? It's not infinite, tree three. And if you want to know what tree three is, you're going to have to go into prior podcasts. It's an incredibly, incredibly large, large number uh, generated by playing a game of dots and lines, this graph theory game. And it's bigger than, it's not like a Googleplex or a Googleplex to the Googleplex power. It's not something like that. It's like so, so, so much bigger than that. And I've gone into the detail before. But the thing about tree three is it is, that big, but still finite, but they don't have an upper bound for it. And what does that remind me of? It reminds me of kind of the universe. It's like the universe may be finite, but we don't really have, does it have a boundary? Does it have an upper bound? So I just find that's interesting. It's like always growing, but still out of reach. Just kind of like tree three, like they can't really cap it, even though it's finite. And sort of this boundary between like, in a way, like infinity is kind of death, right? It's kind of like if you're dead or let's put it this way, if time were to pause completely and we're all frozen completely for 10 seconds, well, we'd never get through the 10 seconds because there'd be nothing to make mark time for those 10 seconds. So we would never get through it. So we would just be frozen forever. And that would be sort of an infinity of death. 
So death is kind of like infinity. It's like if you're dead, and you're like, how? What is it like to be dead? Is it boring to sit in a coffin? Well, no, you're not sitting in the coffin. You're fucking dead. You don't know, and that's kind of infinity. There's nothing ever going to happen or happen before or anything that's relevant. So infinity in that in is kind of a very finite state in a way. It's death, um, and so finite is death too because it ends, and infinity is death because it it's not doesn't even start or end. It's just there's no movement in it. But what if the opposite of the finite is not the infinite? Those are just two sides of the same coin. And the real opposite is the sort of tree three thing where it's finite, but no upper bound. I thought of this also. It's sort of the boundary between the finite and the infinite is where the action is. You know, just like it's really nice to be living on the boundary between the land and the sea, beachfront property. On these boundaries, it's not an original idea for me that on the boundaries where the interesting stuff happens the, you know, the boundary between infinity and finite numbers is this sort of tree three, which is finite, but has no upper bound and no upper bound that we know of. And if you think of like your lifespan, you know, you live 80, 100 years, whatever it is, my case, 115, 120-ish. But, but in a way, it's like, yeah, that's finite, but that's just sort of like one dimension. That's the length. Like how deep is each moment? Maybe there's sort of a width or a depth dimension to your life where you could have infinite depth multiplied by a finite length is still infinite. How many dimensions are there? And so we're just looking at it in this very narrow way as a sort of linear lifespan. Anyway, that was just, uh, I guess my last philosophical thought I'm going to leave you with till next time.